Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church Podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.church, where you can listen to our past sermons, watch our 4G stories, and learn more about who we are. Good morning. How is everybody? Good. Good to see you. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, you're looking nice and tan today after spring break. All right? You look really good. Some of you uh, didn't get as much sun as you needed. May want to go back out today. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, this is going to be a special, special day. We are getting ready for Easter. In fact, right now, most of you are sitting on these, so they're nice and warm. Pick them up and uh, take these and stick these in your pocket. Put them in your Bible. Put them somewhere where you will see them. The last two weeks, I've had three opportunities to invite someone to Easter Sunday or Good Friday service at Southcrest. Two of those three people told me nobody has ever invited me to an Easter Sunday service. And I said, well, why don't you come and be my guest? Like, you can sit on the front row. I'll get you coffee. Whatever it is you need. We have the opportunity, guys, to make a difference in somebody's life. A simple invitation to invite someone. It's going to be amazing. So let me talk about that. Friday night, 7 o'clock. Sunday morning here, 9.30 and 11. Uh, We are moving into our new LaGrange campus down in the city of LaGrange. I think we ought to celebrate that. The Lord is already speaking to me about praying for specific people down there who need Jesus. And so I'm praying the same here at noon. And God's going to do something amazing. So I encourage you, take these cards, invite someone. I also want to make a special announcement to you, and I think we ought to celebrate this. For the last six months, we've been working on something as a church that would allow us to take the vision of Southcrest past South Atlanta. And one of the ways you do that is through technology. Because of a free gift given to us by a church in Oklahoma City, beginning next Sunday, actually it's going to begin on Friday night, Good Friday, uh, our services, worship and teaching, will be live every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. on the web. Can we just celebrate that today? You can go to southcrest.church forward slash live And you can even tell your friends. We know that there are people in the community all over South Atlanta. They say, before I walk in there, because those people are strange, I want to see what it's like. And every Sunday morning, you'll be able to pop online on the World Wide Web and be able to see us and see what God is doing here at Southcrest. And so I am so, so grateful for that being able to happen today. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 21. As you turn it over there, I want to explain where we're going to go today. Um, how many of y'all remember that in November we elected a new president? Raise your hand if you remember that. Y'all remember that little thing we had called the election? Yeah, some of you guys trying to forget about it. Um, believe it or not, the day after that election, somebody else started running for president. Sometimes people do it four years in advance. Sometimes people do it eight years in advance. But it's true that if you're going to run for the president of the United States of America, the greatest country in in the world, the most freest place in the world, that you're probably going to have to start way, way, way in advance. So probably the day after the election, the day after the results came in, somebody said, you know what, I'm going to run for president. Now, we don't know who that person is. We don't know if that's Jay-Z, Beyonce. I mean, we don't know. But here's what we do know. Somebody began running for president. And here's what happened. They called a group of people, a political party called them and said, hey, guess what? And this year comes up, the next four years, you're going to be preparing yourself because one day you're going to run for the president of the United States. You're going to be the leader of the free world. And for four years, everything they say 
And every place they go, every policy that they make, every decision that they decide on will be scrutinized. Within a year or two, you will start seeing them on Fox News and CNN, and you'll begin to, to hear people say, hey, this person could be a front runner for the presidency. And, and, and it's kind of weird because the current president, you know, will barely have gotten a year or two in, and suddenly we're thinking about the next president. But this person, for four years, will be scrutinized, will be questioned. People will ask this question, who is this person? What will they do? And then suddenly, about six to nine months or a year out before the next election, a political party will come around them and say, listen, you're going to be our person. You're going to be the person who's going to run for this office. And they begin to work towards that. People give millions of dollars towards it. And, and then they say, now, everything you say, it has to fit in this way. Until finally they say, and then we want to invite you to this deal called our convention. And on this day, we're going to get in a room and we're going to celebrate and we are going to nominate you as our party's person to become the president of the United States. And it happens every four years. Every four years, that happens to somebody. Here's the crazy thing. For four years, you go through that much scrutiny and then you get the job and then the real work begins. I don't know about you, I don't know that I would want to be the president of the United States of America. I have great honor for that office. Whoever would sit in that office. Because of all that you have to go through just to be nominated and just to be elected as the leader of the free world. Who would ever want that job? It's challenging. Especially in today's world. Can I get an amen? So today's Palm Sunday. Today's a very special day. We're about a week away from Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And today on Palm Sunday, 2,000 years ago, there was a guy who came on the scene with a message. His name was Jesus. And this was his message to the world because for 30 years he had lived his life in obscurity, but the last three years he began a public ministry. And when he began that public ministry, he looked at the world and he said these words. You need to change the way you think because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, all the Jewish people and all the people in Israel got real excited. Here's why. Wow, he's going to restore us to our former glory. Like we're going to have a king like we had with David or like we had with Solomon. And and somehow we're going to be a people again. We're going to have someone who can rule over us. The people got excited because they thought he was coming to be a new earthly king. But the more and more Jesus spoke, the people began to ask the question, is that really what Jesus meant? I mean, Jesus would go out onto hillsides and he would make comments that had nothing to do with winning a political battle. He began to speak of this kingdom that seemed to be bigger than this world. And yet he said, I came so that this kingdom will come. And all of a sudden, people began to ask this question, who is this guy? Who is it? Why is he here? Then all of a sudden, about halfway through those three years, Jesus looks at his followers and says, hey guys, remember that kingdom I told you that I'm going to bring? Oh, by the way, I'm going to be king of that kingdom. Whoa, Jesus, what are you talking about? 
Jesus kind of comes on the scene and then for three years and for a year and a half, two years, he starts healing people and changing people's lives and setting people free. And he makes these profound statements showing them the kingdom of God over and over and over again. He shows them what the kingdom of God looks like until suddenly one day it's time for him to go to the convention. You see, on the first Palm Sunday, there was a celebration going on in Jerusalem. It was called Passover. As a Jewish person, it is one of the biggest holidays you will ever celebrate. It's the day that you remember what God didn't do by judging you and allowing the Passover to take place way back in the Old Testament. Jesus goes to Jerusalem like a political candidate almost goes to a convention, and it's time for the world to try to figure out who is this Jesus. In Matthew 21, we get a picture. Now, here's the exciting thing. The actual gospel of Matthew was written written 30 years after Jesus died on a cross. 30 years. So what Matthew wrote in the gospel of Matthew, he wrote with clarity because not only was he there and saw it, but it now had meaning as to what does all this mean. So I want you to look with me on the first Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago. Matthew 21, starting with verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to daughter Zion, see your king has come to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So remember, Matthew is adding that in. He's helping us see that. Then look at verse 6. The disciples went and Jesus did as uh, Jesus had instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to set on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. Why would you cut a branch from a tree? In Jewish culture, if you wanted someone to be your king or you wanted to announce that somebody had reign over you or rule over you, you would cut a palm branch known as a from, and you would pull that down and you would wave it and it was a sign of saying, I recognize you as royalty. They start waving their branches at Jesus, laying them on the road for him to walk on. Verse nine, the crowds then went ahead of him And those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. In other words, you're going to be our king just like David, Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. What does the word Hosanna mean? It means save us now, God. Save us now. They're literally yelling these words to Jesus. But look at verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. But think about it. The people were excited about Jesus coming. Why? They were in the Passover celebration. They had heard for a long time that there was this guy out in this region called Galilee, near the Sea of Galilee, who was doing all these miracles, and people were changing lives, but they were in this celebration known as Passover. And during this celebration, they would do lots of things. One of the things that they would do is every morning they would get up and they would quote different part of the Psalms known as the Halil Psalms. Psalms 113 to 118. 
And in one of those Psalms, actually in Psalms 118, there's a reference made about he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so they had been quoting these Psalms. They had been thinking about Passover and they had been saying these Hallel things. And the word Hallel is where we get our word Hallelujah. It means praise. Luya means the Lord, Jehovah. And they're yelling, Halil, they're yelling, Hosanna. They're, they're quoting these things, and then all of a sudden they say, hey, remember that, remember that Psalm, Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26, where it says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yeah, we're going to shout that too. Because they were in the frenzy of the moment. And in this moment, you would think that the crowd had lost their ever-loving mind. They get so hysterical that they're actually throwing palm branches down and letting Jesus walk and they're shouting Hosanna to him in the highest. But do they really understand who he is? Do they really know who's about to walk on those branches? So you would think at this moment Jesus would be like, yeah, I worked hard for 30 years for this. It's my time. I want you guys, I want you suckers to see who I am. He didn't do that. In fact, the Bible says he kind of just dispelled it all. He kind of got low. In fact, he, he, he said, hey, go get this donkey, and I want you to put me on a donkey. I don't want you to ride me through the streets. And I'm sure at that point the disciples were like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Jesus. We wanted you to come be like Solomon and David. We wanted you to be a warrior. We wanted you to be a king. We wanted to be like every other nation and have someone who will rule over us. Because we don't know who we are apart from that. <laughs> Jesus says, no. Matthew 21, he goes, he goes down into the city. People are asking the question, who is this? Jesus goes into the temple, and he notices that the people who need to get to God, the pilgrim, can't get, even get into the temple. So he starts knocking the tables. He upsets all the business leaders. He starts doing all these things. What's really crazy is, is they, they come in and, and say, Jesus, why did you do that? He said, hey, this isn't a den of thieves. This is my father's house. Then he walks outside and he finds a, a fig tree. It's not even in season. And he curses a fig tree. I'm sure at that time the disciples were like, he has lost his mind. Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus goes on because he goes and people start questioning his authority. Hey, by what authority do you do all this? And I love what Jesus said. He said, you tell me what authority you have and I'll tell you where my authority comes from. And then he begins to speak in parables. He begins to tell them stories that they can't even understand, as if he's going to speak in some cryptic language. And within a matter of moments, it goes from Jesus, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, we're ready for this earthly king, to the disciples going, he just committed political suicide. Nobody's ever going to want him as their king. I mean, think about it. Within six days, they go from shouting Hosanna in the highest, to crucify him. Jesus, we want your blood. Must have been quite a Palm Sunday. But I love what Matthew tells us. Because Matthew takes us back to one question that he wants us to see. The crowds, when all of this happened, had this one question about Jesus. Who is this? Who is it? Who is this? Who is this guy? Why, what, what in the world? And, and the truth is this, listen, we've all asked the same question. There's been times in my life I wanted Jesus to be something he wasn't. 
Y'all ever seen that t-shirt, Jesus is my homeboy? He's not my homeboy. At times in my life, I've wanted Jesus to be the person that got me out of the mess I was in. At times, I've wanted Jesus to be the person that would come and rescue me from a situation that I knew I deserved to be in. At times, I wanted Jesus to be the person that saved me from a storm in life. Like, Jesus, I want to picture me on a boat and you going across the Sea of Galilee and the winds are, winds are whipping and all this stuff's happening. I see you coming to me, walk, and, and I, I just, I want that part of you, Jesus. But somehow, in this moment, the crowd couldn't figure out who Jesus was. You know what the problem was? Same problem we have sometimes. They had a wrong perception of who Jesus was. Perception's powerful. You know what perception is? Perception is how you interpret something. Something can happen to one person and they interpret it one way and then something can happen to another person, the exact same thing, and they interpret it another way. In other words, you can be on the highway and someone runs into your car and you go, oh my gosh, I just lost my car. And another person has an accident, they run in the car and say, oh my gosh, I'm about to get a new car. I mean, it's all about perception. Perception is powerful. So in this moment, the crowd is asking this question, who is this? And Matthew is trying to help them have the right perception. In fact, let me say it this way. Limited perspective can create a wrong perception. They had limited perspective. All they could see was what everyone else said about Jesus, but they had missed the personal encounter. Let me show you how powerful this is. Look at this picture they're going to put on the screen real quick. Look at this picture. There, there, there are four perspectives in this photo. Four different viewfinders. Yet the full perspective of that photo may not be what you think it is because you have limited perspective. Think about it. Some of us, we, we approach Jesus from, Jesus, I'm looking at you from the, the, my past, like who I was, who, who, who I don't want anyone to know that I am. And so your perception of Jesus comes from this limited perspective of him. Some of us, our perspective of Jesus comes from somebody who never really taught us the truth of the gospel. They just said, hey, if you want to please God, do this, 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 this. And so our idea comes from this religious viewfinder of Jesus. But the truth is this. Apart from understanding the whole picture, we may end up with the wrong perception about who Jesus is. Until we have the whole picture, we don't know who Jesus is. Show them the photo. Limited perspective can create a wrong perception. The people were looking at Jesus and shouting, Hosanna, save us. In other words, Jesus, come in and be our earthly king, man. We are tired of serving the Romans. Jesus was like, man, that is so limited. If you think your greatest need in life is to be set free politically, you've missed it. Matthew wants us to see that there's a whole lot more. And what I love about Matthew is he takes us right back to the text, right back to the scripture, and he shows us who Jesus really is. Look at verse four and five. Matthew adds this, into the moment. He said, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Here's what Matthew's saying. 
I want to answer what the crowd is asking. The crowd is saying, who is Jesus? And Matthew says, I'm going to answer it for you. And it's found in this prophecy. And he goes back and he adds it into the text because he's taking us back to a minor prophet by the name of Zechariah. Now, Zechariah actually gave this prophecy during a time when Ezra and Nehemiah were rebuilding a temple and Nehemiah was rebuilding a wall. Rise up. This prophet, he's known as the 11th of the 12 prophets, the book of Zechariah, the second to last book of the Old Testament, Zechariah comes on the scene and starts prophesying, saying, say, God said this, God said this. And he begins to give these prophecies about who God is and about what God is going to do. And he's actually saying, God's going to bring judgment on part of Israel, but he's not going to let anybody touch Jerusalem. So he spends the first part of Zechariah 9, if you have your Bible, turn over there real quick, talking about God bringing judgment to all of these areas. And he lists in verse 1 through 7 all these cities. And by the way, these cities are still named these names today. You can go to Israel and find these cities. And he basically says, I'm going to send someone and they're going to judge all these cities, all the way from Lebanon, all the way down to the Gaza Strip. This actually happened. It came true. How did it come true? In 300 BC, there was a man who came on the scene by the name of Alexander the Great. And God used him as a leader to fulfill these prophecies about judgment against his own people. But it gets better. Because in verse 8, Zechariah says, Now all this is going to happen, but when they come to take Jerusalem, God's going to leave it untouched. I don't know if you know this story or not, but through a lot of historical record, Alexander the Great at about age 30 woke up after he had conquered a lot of different lands. And he said, there's one land I haven't conquered, it's Israel. And so he goes over and starts conquering all these cities. And he says, and now I'm going to go capture Jerusalem after he conquered everything from up here, Lebanon, down to the Gaza Strip. He goes over to Jerusalem, and this is a true historical story. As he's making his way towards Jerusalem, the high priest comes out to greet him. He had told all the people, because God had told him in a dream, this was about to happen. Somebody's coming to invade you. All the people dressed in white, and they met him at the city gate. And when Alexander the Great saw the high priest, he came and he knelt at the knee of the high priest. All of his followers, Alexander the Great, looked at him and said, why are you bowing your knee to an earthly human being? You are, you are Alexander the Great. They recorded these words that Alexander said. He says, I am not bound my knee to a man. I am bound my knee to the God of the Jews. And he left Jerusalem untouched. Let me tell you what that tells me. Whatever God says, God does. Even history proves when God says it, it will happen. Oh, but it gets better. Because he says, all these things are going to happen, and I'm going to bring judgment on my people. But then I'm about to do something amazing. Because in verse 9, listen to what Zechariah says. Zechariah 9, verse 9. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. 
lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. In other words, it ain't going to happen. The battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations and his dominion shall be from sea to sea and the river to the ends of the earth. What Zechariah prophesied took place on the first Palm Sunday. I've been to that road twice. As you leave the Mount of Olives and you turn the corner and you start heading down, the the grade is very steep. You kind of hold yourself or you would literally roll down the road all the way from the Mount of Olives down to the Garden of Gethsemane. But when you walk down that road, you have this feeling of hearing the crowds ask this question, who is this? And Matthew reminding us, I want to tell you who Jesus is. (laughs) He's going to come and he's going to bring justice. He's going to come and he's going to bring salvation. He's going to come and he's going to be able to reorder peace. When I read that this week, I turned on the TV station to hear that we had bombed Syria. And I saw the photos of children and people dying in a gas attack in another country and saying, the world is looking for something bigger than an earthly leader can bring. And Matthew says it again and again. I'll tell you who this is. God's going to send his only son And he's going to send him in on a donkey in humility to bring justice, salvation, and peace to the world. Let me tell you how Jesus could bring salvation to the world. Because he himself had been delivered. What does that mean? If you go to Matthew 4, Jesus had to go to a place called the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And for 40 days, Satan came and said, hey, if you will do this, I will give you this. If you will do this, he tried to lie to him over and over again. And Jesus wasn't going to buy it. He said, I know who my father is, and I know why I came. And Jesus himself was tempted in every single way that we were, and yet he'd never sinned. Jesus understood what it meant to be delivered. And so what did he do? He shows up on Palm Sunday And he goes down to this road and he delivers himself up and humbles himself to the point of death on a cross. There are some of you today, you're going through things in your life and you're like, you know what? Religion just isn't cutting it for me. Being morally right doesn't seem to really satisfy me. When you lay your head on your pillow at night, you're asking this question because I remember I asked this for 17 years. God, I know you're there. I know I believe in you. I know you're real, but somehow I don't ever feel delivered. Jesus came so that they could be delivered. The word salvation means deliverance. I think it's awesome because God was saying to the world, you think you need a political leader who can rule over you. But what you really need is a savior who can reign in you. Any Amazon shoppers here? Anybody shop on Amazon? Yeah. Two places, YouTube, Amazon. I go to YouTube to fix my washer. I go to Amazon to buy things I don't need. I'm an Amazon Prime member. (laughs) Royalty, okay. What that means is I get things shipped to me in two days. 
48 hours. Yeah. I, I love going to Amazon because when you go to Amazon and you order something, you basically get a notice the moment that you order it that says this. It says package shipped. The moment it's ordered, the moment they ship it, the moment it leaves their distribution center, you get this notice. It says package shipped. And I get excited. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just getting old, you know, like my package is coming 48 hours or less. I get that notice that says will be delivered by and it has that, you know, this time or that time. And so I'm waiting. I got a smartphone. I'm waiting to get that notification. And there's only one thing better than getting that notification that says package shipped. And here's the notification. Package delivered. And I'll call my wife, honey, that package I ordered, it's at the doorstep right now. And she's like, Sean, calm down, bro. It's a pair of socks. (laughs) I don't know why I get so excited. Guys, listen. On Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago, God sent a shipping notice to the world. You don't need an earthly king who can come and rule over you and you can be like all the other nations. I'm going to send a humble king through my son on a donkey and I'm delivering the goods to the distribution center. It's called the cross of Jesus Christ. And the day he hangs on that cross, you and I get a shipping notice that says, package delivered. That's my story. The day I met Jesus... I got delivered. The day you gave your life to Jesus, you got delivered. Maybe you need to go back and read the the shipping notice of God's word. Maybe Good Friday can't come any quicker in our life because this whole idea that God sent a shipping notice to the world, he's saying, hey, listen, I'm gonna bring salvation to humanity through the humility of my son, And not only that, I'm going to reorder peace between God and man. Mm. Peace. Most of us think peace is determined by what happens to us. If that person wouldn't post that comment to me on Facebook, I would have peace. If that person wouldn't say that about me, then I would have... Listen, some of us say, if there's absence of conflict, then that means there's peace. Listen, you can take all the conflict out of this world, and yet we can still never have peace. See, peace is different. Augustine said it this way, peace is the tranquility of order. In the Hebrew language, there's a word for peace. It's the word shalom. And everywhere you go, people greet you with shalom. And here's what they're saying, that things, everything is being the way it ought to be. Things are ordered the way God wants to order them, shalom. So on Palm Sunday, God said to the world, I'm going to send my son. He's going to deliver the package. You are going to receive what I'm going to do for you, and you're going to experience deliverance in your life. What does that mean? Shalom. God's going to reorder peace. You know, there's one moment in Jesus' life where Jesus really illustrated this for us. His followers were coming to him, and Jesus had just announced to them that he was going to go to the cross and die. And I'm sure that was probably the first clue in their mind. Wait a minute, I don't think Jesus is running for a political office here. 
But what Jesus said to them transcends the idea of peace. His followers came to them and said, Jesus, what what should we do with all of this knowledge that you've given to us about the fact that you're going to go and you're going to suffer and you're going to die on a cross? And in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says these words. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. You know what that tells me? Peace is never the absence of conflict. Peace is merely the presence of God. The world being reordered the way that God created it. 2,000 years ago, God shipped the goods. Jesus walked to that road. This next Sunday, we're going to celebrate how amazing it is that Jesus Christ is still alive. I want to say this to you today. Many of you here, you may be at a place in your life, you're saying, you know what, Sean? I've never experienced peace like that. The Bible says it's called peace that passes understanding. I want to tell you, too, before I met Jesus, I never knew peace that passed understanding. I only knew circumstantial peace. And I never knew true deliverance. I just knew that when I had a problem, I would cry out to God. And and sometimes it seemed like God would work things out. And other times I would be like, God, I hate you. You don't work anything out. But every time I go back to Palm Sunday and Matthew, I'm reminded of this one thing. Who is this? And the crowds respond, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. You know why we're here today at Southcrest Church? We're here to tell all of South Atlanta, this is Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. That's the one reason. That's it. We are not here to say, hey, look at the color of the walls or the lights and all this. We are here for one reason. We exist for one thing. This is Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, this is Jesus. Loving South Atlanta, one relationship at a time. Gospel, grace, growth, generosity. This is Jesus. And I just want to say to you guys, this coming week, God's going to give us so many opportunities to say to a broken, hurting, fallen world, who's Jesus? Oh, let me show you. This, This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Would you pray with me today? Thanks again for listening to this week's message. Remember, you can find more sermons just like this one on our website at southcrest.church. If you have any questions about our church, email us at hello at southcrest.tv. We'll see you next time.